seated. Welcome this morning to Vintage Grace. My name is uh, Jared Weaver. I get the privilege on uh, serving on staff here as one of the pastors. Uh, Drew is off to sabbatical. Uh, we are praying for rest and rejuvenation for he and his family uh, through this season. And we're also looking forward to the ways in which God is going to continue to grow Vintage Grace, uh, not only uh, out there. Uh, as we are embarking on that endeavor, hopefully in weeks uh, at this point, but construction is, you know what it is. So uh, we are at work in that process and excited about that, but more so excited about the growth that he's going to continue to do in us uh, and continue to to transform us and to change us into the likeness of his son. Uh, And personally, I am looking forward to see my kiddos grow this summer. Um, I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old uh, at our house, and so summer is on its way. It is almost here. We're in a really long school year, uh, and we're increasingly, as parents of five and eight-year-olds, we're increasingly venturing into uncharted territory, as I call it, and that is entrusting my kids with some measure of freedom and responsibility. Is that a little grimace, right? A little cringy, right? Because I'm about to give freedom and responsibility to a five and an eight-year-old, right? Now, they're good kids, but it's scary as a dad to give freedom to kiddos. It means that they get to make decisions. They get to make choices, right? Like, these are the kinds of kids who would choose mac and cheese for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then would continue to do that every single day. And they would only choose the blue box, from craft, though, because it makes a difference. <laughs> and an area, though, that we are uh, giving them freedom is, is that of finances. We're, we're giving them their own money because their money is their money. Dad doesn't steal the money that they get from gifts or from the things that they earn. They get these little beads, and then we pay them out at the end of the month, and they get their little paycheck, and they get to do what they want. And what that freedom means that they get to spend their money where they want. Uh, and as a As a quality over quantity, fiscally minded dad, I get a little twitchy, I'll be honest, when my kids say, hey dad, I want to go to the dollar store, right? Like the dollar store is the antithesis of quality over quantity, right? You go with $5 and you come back with four items because we do have to learn about tax, right? Like you got the wrong dad. So you you got to worry about what tax is as well. But the dollar store trinkets are pretty much, uh, what I know about these dollar store trinkets is I will find them tomorrow and I will probably be throwing them in the recycling bin because that's the lifespan of these trinkets. But ultimately it is their freedom, right? It's theirs to do what they want. We've given them that power. And so just as my kids have been given freedom to spend their money where they want, how they want, I too have been given a freedom. You've been given a freedom. We've been given a freedom in Jesus Christ. He's given us the freedom from the tyranny of sin, the tyranny of ourselves, of Satan, of the, of the oppression of sin in our lives. What once shackled my heart, what once shackled my mind and my desire, sin no longer holds sway over me. It no longer rules over me. That has all been given. Freedom has been given to me. In Jesus, I'm now free to live the life that I was meant to live. See, Jesus' freedom means that I no longer need to perform and fulfill the law in order to be with God. It's been done on my behalf. It's been done for me, no longer about me and what I do. But the question I'm confronted with each and every morning, and I think each one of us, those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, we are confronted with the exact same question. That question is this. Will I cash in my freedom for dollar store trinkets over the beauty of an all-satisfying life in Jesus? Will we go to the dollar store and cash in for trinkets that we're going to throw away in 24 hours? 
over the beauty of an all-satisfying life in the person of Jesus that's been given for you. For what will I spend my freedom on? For who will I spend my freedom? What will Christ's freedom lead me to do? These are questions that, that come into my world every day. And so as we jump into this summer, we're going to jump in looking at the freedom that you have been given through Jesus Christ. A freedom has been given and granted to you through Jesus and him alone. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he fights to establish that through Jesus alone, we are free to follow. We've been freed up to follow, and if you look on your chair, you've got a little, a little key tag there, and, and that's going to be our theme for the summer, is, is that you've been freed to follow someone. Disney would have us to think that, that we should think of freedom as being free from something, but we're going to find that Jesus frees us for something. We've been freed for a person and for a purpose, and that person is Jesus, and that purpose is to make much of our Jesus. Friends, you are free now through the gospel, through the message of Jesus Christ, you are free to live the life that you were designed for. Doesn't that sound good? You were meant to live life in the presence of God. You were meant to make much of God, and you are now freed and capable of doing that through Jesus. You were designed to create. You were designed to organize. You were designed to landscape. You were designed to build you were designed to paint. You were designed to parent in the presence of God and for his glory forever. That was what God intended for you. But what happened? Sin. What happened to Jared? Sin. I said, you know what, God? I got my own way. I'm going to do this. And that enslaves me. That prevents me from being where? In the presence of God, who, am I, who I am precisely been created for. And so in Galatians, Paul makes clear what frees us. It's this. It's the pure, simple gospel. It's only the gospel that has freed you. Galatians is a letter to confront opponents and remind followers who've forgotten the only pure gospel. It is only the pure gospel that liberates us and saves us. Only Jesus. It's not the gospel plus circumcision. These opponents wanted to come in and they wanted to say, hey, you know what? Yes, we like Jesus. Yes, we agree with Jesus. But you also need circumcision. You also need to add something to the gospel. You also need Old Testament festivals. You also need this. You also need that. In order to be the people of God, you've got to do something plus the gospel. And what we find is that something plus the gospel is no gospel at all. It is not good news for your hearts. It is not good news for your soul. And so our passage today will highlight the importance of this, the pure gospel, the simple gospel. We're going to answer the question, where is your freedom rooted, right? We're talking about this whole summer, we're going to be free to follow. Well, where does that freedom come from? What frees us in order to follow Jesus? Well, it's the gospel, pure and simple. You see, you have been freed purely by the gospel and only the gospel. You have been freed purely by the gospel and only by the gospel. Not anything else, right? It's only Jesus you see, the gospel plus anything is not good news. It is not your freedom. It continued shackles, right? Because ultimately, the gospel plus anything puts the onus on who? Us. And that's, that's bondage. That's enslavement. That's difficulty. The gospel plus anything is not God himself. It is not your joy. But the gospel plus nothing, friends, 
The gospel plus nothing is your freedom. It's your hope. It's your good news. It's the peace that you long for. It's the peace that you have pleaded with God that you would have in your souls that is given to you through Jesus and him alone. Nothing else. And so Paul, an apostle through the authority of the risen Jesus, exhorts these Galatians in Galatians 1 through 10 to return to the gospel that's been proclaimed to them. Like, come back to this good news. Don't get swayed by anything else. Come back to the glorious good news of Jesus and him alone. For it is the only thing that has saved you. Let's read now the word of the Lord in Galatians 1, 1 through 10. It says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who were with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of God, And Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Father, we we delight in the fact this morning that we have confidence to come near to you, come before you, not because of anything that we have done, but simply because of Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would provide for us a glorious picture of your son, Jesus, that we would be enamored by him, we would want to make much of him, because he has done the work, Lord, to give us freedom in you and for you. And so we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so, friends, we see here is that Paul's ministry is rooted, it's sourced, and it is founded on one thing and one thing alone. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's about. If you want to know what Paul is in a nutshell, if you want to know what Paul is about in one word, it's the gospel. It's Jesus. That is his hope. That's his purpose. That's what he lives for. And so in this greeting, Paul roots these Galatians in the gospel by providing his credentials because they got a little bit of an issue going on. Right? Normally when I read epistles, I kind of read through that first bit of greeting, like, yeah, 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 let's get to the good stuff, right? Like, what's going on here? But, we, but Paul, Paul comes out, and he's addressing a few things. And he begins with this first order of business, and that is this, to establish his apostolic authority. And the hermeneutical question here would be, why is he touting his apostolic authority here? What's he doing? Why is he coming out strong in this way? Well, he's got opponents who've snuck into the Galatian churches, and he's, they're whispering in his ear, in their ears, and they're saying, there, there's something more to the gospel. And they're calling into question the authority and the authenticity of Paul's apostleship. Because Paul wasn't one of the twelve. If you go back in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you won't find Paul in there, will you? So he's not one of the twelve, and so this Paul is, can he really be an apostle? Right? Can he really be a follower of Jesus in, this, in the same way that Peter and crew are? Right? And this Paul, he's proclaiming to you a message that's new, right? It's a new one with human origin. 
Not one that's sourced and rooted in the Old Testament. Not one that's rooted in, in God himself. Paul said, or these opponents saying, we're sourced in God. Paul's got his human origins. And Paul doesn't mince any words. He roots his apostleship not in men, but in God himself. Through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Remember in Acts? We did a long time ago, a few months ago, however many weeks ago, whatever that is, right? We did it, and we walked through, and Paul was confronted on the road to Damascus. Who was he confronted by? Jesus. Was it the dead Jesus? No, it was the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Who did Paul see? The risen Lord Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus. He was commissioned by Jesus. Jesus made him blind. He couldn't see, had to walk continue walking, and then was able to be transformed and changed forever. What did Jesus do in his life? He transformed his life from persecutor of the church to proselytizer of the gospel. Isn't that power? Isn't that authority, right? Like all of a sudden, this one who's coming against the church, Jesus says, I'm gonna use you for my good. I'm the risen Lord Jesus. And Paul says, that's who I saw. That's where my authority is sourced. In Jesus and him alone, that's where I come to you with this word. So it was the gospel, and it was Paul's gospel, which is the, G, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, and he makes sure to say, this isn't just my, like, special word that I received. Uh, I'm backed by other people. It's not a him thing. He's not a lone ranger about this good news. Look at verse 2. He says, all the brothers who are with me. You see, Paul is sourced in community. He is, he is existing in community. He's an apostle moving from city to city, doing the things that he's supposed to do. But he is sourced in community. He's known by people. And he's, he's working together to continue to move this gospel message forward. Friends, Paul thought it was important to be with the brothers, in connection with the brothers, live in community. How about you? Are you living in proximity? Are you living in connection? Are you living in community where people know you, right? Who, who understand the gospel with you? Who know what your heart is about, what you're inclined to, what you're inclined to not believe about God? The little ticks, the little isms of you? Do people know those things about you? Do they know who you are and what you believe? Paul thought it was important. And so this greeting then continues by Paul. And he roots them in the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, I want to pause today. And I want to pause and I want to invite you to come and hear the pure gospel. I want to invite each one of you, wherever it is you're at, to hear this good news. To not walk through this in some academic, theological jargon kind of way. But for you to come and say, I need to hear the good news. I want to invite you. All who are weary and tired of performing and need rest. Is that you? All who mourn and long for comfort. Is that you today? All who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. Is that you? All who sin and need a savior. Is that you? All who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Friends, this gospel is for you. So now hear this word. Hear this message of God for you, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. God gave you Jesus, and he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory and for the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the gospel for you. 
Jesus, that's Paul saying, God gave us Jesus so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty that we deserve. How does the gospel apply to our lives? The gospel's core is this for Jared. I wanted to apply this to my own heart because I better apply it to my heart before we even think about, right, being up here. You see, this is what's true of Jared. When I was busy shaking my puny fist of self-glory and self-fulfillment at God, basically claiming to God, I got this. I don't need you, God. I got this on my own. And you know what, God? I'll call you in when I, whenever I feel like doing that. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe that's how I'll see you. When I was busy doing that, this is what God was up to. God in his mercy enacted his merciful plan of rescue through Jesus. He says, I see you, Jared. I see you don't even care about me. But guess what? I send mercy. In mercy, I send my, Je- my son Jesus to you. And Jesus generously gave his God-submitting perfect life on the cross for my sins. Jesus generously gives himself up. A self-giving God, a self-giving Savior, puts himself on the cross for whose sins? For mine. Did I deserve that? No. Did he deserve that? No. But thank goodness I get what I don't deserve. So here we have then the great exchange. So what happens on that cross? What does Jesus get? Jesus gets my sin. What do I get? I get Jesus' perfect life. What? Isn't that crazy? Like, you, what is Jesus? You put your sin on Jesus, and Jesus is like, guess what, Jared? I'm going to give you my perfect life. I'm going to give you everything that you need to be with God. That's what I'm going to give you. The cross means that I'm no longer a slave to my sin and my passions. I'm no longer a slave to my sin and my own passions, but that I can experience the joy of real freedom in this age. Oh, it's coming. There's a day coming when the freedom is going to be seen with these eyes. But even in this age, I get to experience real freedom right now from my sin. I can't wait for the day when the freedom battle between my flesh and spirit ceases. That is going to be a glorious day. And now I get the fulfilling purpose of shining out God's goodness and greatness forever and ever. That's the gospel. That's what God has done. That's what God has empowered to you, friends, to you, Christian, to you one seeking and wondering what God is up to and how he cares about you. And so where is the gospel in your story this morning? Where is the gospel in your story? Does God's generous act of mercy in Jesus define you? I hope so. A God who would mercifully and generously and graciously give himself up for you. I hope and I pray and I plead that that defines everything of who you are. Or are you set on defining your own life? Determining your own way? Brothers and sisters, won't you lay that down and see a God who loves you today? This morning? Right now? In this moment? Perhaps... I'm looking out at many people. Maybe you're mad at God today. It's okay. He can handle it. Maybe you're mad at God. He's, I mean, he, he handled the, the, the fate of the universe, so he can handle our anger, right, our frustration. Maybe you're, God, you're mad at him for some of the pain and the atrocities and the evils that you have faced or that's been subject to you. And I won't speak for God. I dare not do that. And give you the reason why. I know not why you are going through what you are going to. Only the sovereign Lord knows that. 
but I, can I plead for you to come and see the gospel of my God? To come and see the one who took on that evil, who took on that pain, who took on that injustice in himself so that we would be able to get God himself. A God who loves you in that space, even when you can't see it or understand it. What Paul says is, come see the cross. It's your commitment. It's your, it's your understanding that God loves you now, no matter what you're experiencing. And so I pray that that would give you hope for your pain. That that would provide for you forgiveness in the failures and really just ultimately fulfillment in this life and understanding that God is with you and is for you wherever you are at. And it's my prayer that you felt it. You felt the gospel. In this moment, you experienced the gospel. In this moment, you were able to enjoy the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. That, that you were able to feel that. Because what just happened, it was God for you. It's so good. It's so sweet. And it's so delightful, isn't it? God willingly coming and giving himself for me so that I would have life with him. So now I hope you'll understand why what we're going to see is Paul's going to come out and he comes out swinging, right? Because what he's going to do is he says, what is Paul only about? The gospel. Paul's aim, Paul's mission, Paul's purpose is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you add anything, if you do anything, if you deter people from the glory of Jesus, if you do any of that, he comes out and he throws haymakers. He comes and he comes on strong. I've watched like two boxing matches in my life. But usually, uh, I I liken Paul's intros, his greetings to his epistles, as kind of the pleasantries you you find before a boxing match, right? You got Michael Buffer, all the pleasantries, everybody's excited, and he's saying, let's get ready to rumble, and everybody's like, yeah, let's go. And then the ref says, come on out, everybody. And what are they supposed to do, right? They come out, they're supposed to touch gloves, you know, have a good fight, rah, 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 ding, 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 and then, then they start fighting, right? That's basically what Paul usually does in his greetings. He's like, all right, hey guys, how you doing? Love you, this is good, thankful for you, all this kind of stuff. It's absent. It is absent here. You see, having rooted the Galatians in the gospel, Paul throws what I call two haymakers in defending the gospel. He comes in, and he's like, all right, no ding, 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 no glove touching, just swinging, right? Throwing punches. And he's going to throw a punch, and this first punch is at the Galatians themselves. Look at verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, I cannot believe this. I'm bewildered. I'm perplexed. This boggles my mind how you are at work doing this currently at this moment. You have heard, received, and understood the good news, and yet you're like a child. When I turn my back, what are you doing, right? You're into everything, right? I turn around, and there's the flower on the floor, like sweet mercy. The Lord be with me in those moments. You have this idea that God has called them. God has given them the experience of the gospel, and they're like so quick to turn away. Oh, there's, there's a squirrel. There's uh, something else, something better, something to fulfill me. And what we have here is this language of quickly deserting echoes the Israelites who so quickly turned from God as they were coming out of the Exodus. 435 years of bondage and enslavement at the hands of the Egyptians. And God's like, I'm going to deliver you from that. 
and he delivers them from that. And he takes them through the Red Sea, and he destroys the Egyptians, and he provides manna for them, and he just continues to be generous and gracious and merciful and generous and gracious and merciful. And as soon as Moses leaves for a few days, they're like, we should do something. We need to figure this out. Let's, and any time a human being says, I need to figure this out in terms of God, it's a problem, right? Let's figure this out. I know what we'll do. Let's build a big golden calf and we'll worship it. As if that's the thing that brought us out of Egypt. You see what happens? We're so quick to say, I, I need to make sense of this. I need to make something that I can build. I need something I can stand on. I need something. I need something. And Jesus And God says, you don't need anything but me. Only me. Nothing else. We come from a long line of fickle people, don't we? It's not a them thing. I look at my heart. It's a me thing. It's an us thing. You see, friends, what happens in your heart when, you, when things don't go as you want, expect, or desire, where you turn, that's telling you something. You see, maybe you... Where do you turn when things go difficult, when things don't go as you want? Maybe you rest in the insulation of your bank account. Or being a successful banker, plumber, pastor, parent. Or your ability to to work hard and pave your own way. I'm a bootstraps person. I can do this. Or the escape of pornography or the numbing ease of alcohol or any other addiction. Friend, where you turn in the disappointment of life, that is your functional gospel. That is the Savior that you think will satisfy you. That is your golden calf that you say, if I can get this, this will get me to God. It will not. It won't. It's only Jesus. It's always been Jesus. And Paul says, it's only Jesus, right? And he goes on to say, if you preach anything that's not Jesus, it's not the gospel. I say, actually, it's not another gospel. It's no gospel at all, verse 7. So it's not a gospel at all. Adding anything to the good news is bad news. If you add anything to the good news of Jesus Christ for you in your place, your hope of heaven, it is bad news. So then he throws then, so got the first haymaker coming at the Galatians, and then he comes with the second. That's an uppercut. I've never swung a punch of any kind. But here we go. Verse 7. So, yeah, you're you're in good hands if anything happens. Uh, Verse 7 is, there are some who, second come against opponents, there's some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You see, some, these Judaizers, they've made their way into into the Galatian church. And they've, they've started whispering and they started saying that you need Jesus. Yes, you need Jesus, but you also need circumcision. You need to add something. You need to submit to the Old Testament law. In order to become the people of God, you must be circumcised. You need Jesus, yes, but you also need circumcision. It's not the gospel. It's not the message of good news. And Paul's very clear. He's like, you mess with my gospel, I will mess with you, right? What's he start doing? He starts calling down curses on people, right? Like sometimes it's worth getting kind of crazy, right? And so Paul's going to get kind of crazy here. Look at verse 8. But even if we... Or an angel from heaven should preach anything to you, preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So who does he include in this? He says, if I come proclaiming something other than Jesus and him crucified as your hope of being the people of God, or if, or if angels do this, he's making the point that the message depends on the content, not the credentials of the messenger. 
It's the content that matters. It's the person of Jesus that is absolutely critical to our hope. And it doesn't stop with the first curse. It's a double-dose curse, we find. Verse 8 was this general curse, like, hey, anathema, right? I curse those who would bring anything other than this. But then in verse 9, the verb tense starts to show us that he's starting to hone in. He's honing in on his opponents. He's honing in on these Judaizers, and he has them in his sights. And he's basically telling them that if you lead these people astray, if you lead them away from the gospel, you are to be cursed as well. So verse 10, Paul ends by using a rhetorical question to show that he's not trying to please men. Because if Paul was interested in pleasing men, you know what Paul would do? He'd still be the Jew that he was. He was the Jew among Jews. All the Jewish people, all these Judaizers would have looked at him and said, there's Paul, there's a real man, right? And Paul's like, no, I follow Jesus. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. So clearly I'm not interested in gaining the praise of men. That is not my purpose. That is not my plan. So it's kind of a weird passage to start the summer. In that you've got a passage where Paul comes in and he just starts throwing punches at people. And it's like, how do, you, how do you get people to be like, hey, come on in, and gospel haymakers are coming everywhere at us. But I want us to stop, and I want us to think about this. Because I, I think there's a tendency, I, I believe there's a tendency in my heart, and I think it's in every single one of us, because we've seen that in God's people throughout the generations. And that's this, is we have a tendency to add to the gospel. That we want to add to the gospel. Almost as if, if if I can add a little something to the gospel, you know what? God has to do something for me, I think. That's, when I look at my heart, I think, I think that's kind of what I, what sometimes I start to believe. Like, if I do all these things for God, then he kind of has to do this for me. That's, that's, that's a lie. It's not true. It's not valid. In fact, Paul would say that's accursed. And so, friend, where are you adding to the gospel in your life today? Have you subtly begun to believe that God accepts you? And by accept you, I mean he calls you his child. He's adopted you into his family. You are part of the people of God. Because you come, because of Jesus, yes, but also because you come to VG on Sundays. Like that's why he kind of accepts me as well. Like I need to do some of these things, and and that makes me a person of God. Or I, I do life group too. Or I'm in a serve team, right? I'm just kind of morally good, right? That's why... God accepts me. Friend, God doesn't accept you because you're morally good. He never has and he never will. So you were entered into the family of God because of Jesus. And you continue to remain in the family of God because of who? Because of Jesus. It is not because of your ability to be morally good. You cannot continue to keep yourself in the family of God because of your moral acts. Now, oh, moral acts follow, right? They flourish from the fountain of the gospel, but that is another sermon for another day. Or maybe you've begun to believe that God accepts you because you just try your best, right? Like, I just, I do my part, and God's going to honor that. That's why he accepts me. It's not. It's not why he accepts you. Like, well, I'm the world's hardest working parent. He's going he's gonna to honor that. That's why he wants me to be his child. Or you give your time to the poor and the needy. 
or you do a lot for the community. That, that's not why he accepts you and calls you into his family. He calls you and accepts you into his family because of his grace and because of his son. That's it. And he continues to sustain you and to keep you in his family because of his grace and because of his son. That is it. Or lastly, you think God accepts you because you're not like the religious judgy people of the world. Like you have this superiority sense. Like sometimes I'm like, I'm not like that person. Whew! Like that's why God loves me, right? No, that's not why God loves me. He doesn't care about my superior judgments. What he cares about is, do I love his son? Is his son my hope? Is his son my strength? I invite you to lay down the foolish way of thinking that so easily creeps into our hearts and into our lives. You're not accepted by God because of you. Isn't that free? It's never because of you, and it never will be because of you. You're welcome. Let's go, right? Like, that's it. That's all we need. Like, remember that today. It's never because of your churchiness. That's not why he accepts you. Like, I'm a churchy person. It's never because of your effort. And it's definitely not because of our superior judgment. God accepts us only because of Jesus and forever because of Jesus. That's freedom. That freedom is what allows you then to follow and to move forward. And so the gospel plus nothing is the gospel. The gospel plus nothing is the gospel. Jesus alone is your hope of heaven. Jesus alone is your peace with God today. Jesus alone is the satisfaction for your sins. Jesus alone is the love of God for you. Jesus alone is the liberty that you long for. Jesus alone is your acceptance by God. By God. It is not Jesus and anything. It is Jesus and him alone. And this morning we get that chance to reflect and to remind ourselves that it was just Jesus that got us God. Only Jesus. And communion really is that tangible reminder that it's just Jesus. It's his body and this blood broken for me, shed for me, so that I might have life. You see, friends, your adoption, your salvation, and your redemption are from Jesus. And so I want to invite you this morning to take this moment, to take this time of reflection, and to lay down the gospel addition that may have crept into your heart. Where you're like, you know what? This is why God accepts me. Friends, confess that. Admit that. Give that to Jesus. And remind yourself that it was only the two elements that you hold in your hands that gives you access to your Father. That gives you access to the life that you were meant and you were designed to live. And though you get to experience it a little bit dimly in this age, a day is coming when that body and that blood will put you in the presence of God forever with these real eyes. And you will see your God face to face, and you will be with him. And it was not because you did anything. It was simply because your God had set in his heart to love you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Let's pray. I'm going to invite the ushers forward. They're going to grab the communion cups. There's gluten-free in the back. And partake and consider. There is a freedom today. There is a freedom that we could not purchase. There is a freedom that we could do nothing for. And that freedom is your son. God, 
thank you for Jesus who has freed my heart to love you, that has freed my heart to live for you, that has freed my heart to live for the goodness that you are, God. That is a gift from you. And so I thank you dearly for that this morning. And I ask and I pray that you would minister to our hearts with these two elements, that you would minister to us and remind us, God, that it was not us. There is nothing we could do to have you, yet you and your generosity and your greatness have sent your son. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Remind us that we add nothing. Help us confess today, we pray, in the name of Jesus.